electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Happy Friday. Happy New Year's Eve. And welcome to Tech Check. I'm Georgia Bozo with Kayla Tausche. Neely Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of the Decoder podcast, joins us once again this hour to help us close out the final trading session of the year. Today, we are breaking down what was the biggest story in tech for 2021. The big, well, they got bigger and growth names experienced a meltdown to end the year. Plus, 2021 was a banner year for SPACs and IPOs, even direct listings, but also some of its worst performing. Today, the last SPAC of 2021 hits the street. And finally, wondering if it's too late to jump into semis with names like NVIDIA up nearly 130% year to date. We will tell you where you should put your money in the new year. Kayla, happy early New Year's. This is about as much celebrating as I'm doing. We're all in quarantine over here. I know, I know. We we have a lot of uh, salutations, old lang syne, good riddance. 2021 was not at all like we thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year. But, hey, we'll take it. We'll go into 2022 and we will start fresh. But we're going to start the show, D, with a look at the wild ride for tech stock we've seen this year. Names like Apple, Microsoft, Google, and Tesla saw big gains driving their trillion-dollar market caps even higher, as you mentioned, Apple now just a stone's throw away from $3 trillion. And while growth players, once pandemic darlings across the tech landscape, take a hit, take a look at this. Zoom is off almost 60% from its highs of the year. Peloton down sharply. Splunk, others are following down double digits as well. Splunk down nearly 32%. Peloton down 76%. And given the surge in COVID cases across the globe, the outlook for many of these stocks is mixed. But even with ARC down 22% year to date, Kathy Woods, Kathy Wood is bullish. She wrote on Twitter, quote, in our view, fears of inflation will give way to confusion and fears of recession during the next three to six months. If so, the rapid growth rates of truly innovative companies, many of their equities maligned this year, should be rewarded handsomely. And Nile, I want to start there uh, with you because we did see Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation ETF down about 25% this year. Uh, it was one of the high flyers in the midpoint of the year, but now she's saying the old economy, it's going to be beset with inflation and high inventories and low confidence. So go with the truly innovative companies. And she says that they're going to pay off in the next three to six months. Do you think that she's just hoping uh, this time it's true or do you see that happening in the next couple quarters? I do see it happening. I, I think one of the biggest mistakes you can make, is, especially in tech, is to think the way it is now is the way it's going to be forever. Uh, if you just look at kind of the big companies that we're going to talk about a lot on this show, they didn't exist 10 years ago. So if you're playing long, if you're thinking five or 10 years out, a lot of the companies that came up and really took advantage of the pandemic trends, they're poised to become big players over time. Now, are they hitting... Uh, some obstacles in growth, in market share, uh, in consumer behavior not changing permanently as we kind of come in and out of these pandemic waves? Sure. But I do think over the long run, the, the major innovations we've seen take flight during the pandemic are here to stay. 
Yeah, and speaking of some of those innovative companies, it's also been trends and coins. Uh, what a year it has been, guys, for cryptocurrencies. I mean, it's really entered the mainstream with Bitcoin and Ether. Those, those aren't even the best performing coins. You've got Solana um, as well as Binance Coin. And something that I've talked a lot about this year, guys, is Tether and the role of stable coins. What does 2022 bring? Uh, it has been called several times this year the black swan of the crypto markets. It seems like more regulation is certainly in store, but how will that change the dynamics? Um, as guys, I look at a chart and Tether, I mean, yes, it's remained steady and that's the whole point of it, but take a look at its market capitalization. It was $20 billion at the start of this year, ending the year $80 billion. We still, uh, Kayla, have no idea really what is in there besides commercial paper, not what kind. Uh, so uh, it will be interesting to see how this market evolves over 2022. You could have fit, what, like 10 years of progress into just this year for that sector? Yeah, and yesterday we heard from Jan Van Eck. He said that the uh, the market cap of Bitcoin is going to multiply by five in the coming years. Uh, the momentum in that industry is unmistakable. Uh, Nile, I know that here in Washington, where I sit, regulators are trying to figure out exactly how they are going to start regulating this space so that it is safer with less downside or at least less uncertainty uh, for consumers and possibly introducing their own digital currencies uh, as well to try to uh, combat some of these these waves that we are seeing in this market. Uh, but what do you see ahead for the crypto market, Nile, in, in 2022? What big trends are you watching? I think I'm looking for that regulatory action as well, particularly around stable coins. Uh, you know, replacing the U.S. dollar in any way, shape or form, is going to attract a lot of attention. That's fundamentally what a lot of the stable coins are doing. They're just making it easier for you to trade in and out of other cryptocurrencies. The other big split that I think we've been talking about that I'm paying a lot of attention to is, yes, there's the financial side of crypto. There's also the decentralized application space in crypto on Ethereum with NFTs, with Web3. That split is real. There's a lot of action over there. I haven't seen any killer app for any of this stuff yet, but the energy is unmistakable. And I think that split is going to get wider and even more heated next year. Yeah, heated debate around that, too. And Neela, I don't want to shortchange you because you and I were chatting over Twitter just ahead of the show, too. Uh, return to office will be a big theme that we'll continue to watch into the next year. And Neela, just briefly, I know you, you think that sort of this is the year that that chatter kind of talk goes away. And do you think maybe companies, large companies are just resigned to having this hybrid workforce, letting the majority or parts of their workforce work from home? Yeah, look, uh, hey, I wore the email shirt just for you. I did it. I pulled it out of storage. There um, you go. <laughs> I got to say, Quick you know, we, we've, had, we've seen, yeah, uh, well, you know, I couldn't check it out entirely. Uh, we, we've seen so many companies say, you're going to come back. Okay, we're pushing it back. You're going to come back. People are getting used to it. They're getting used to being at home with their kids. They're realizing that their work is just work on a computer. That computer can be located pretty much anywhere. I think we'll see some pushback, but a lot of the people that have made adjustments to remote work are going to say, this is how I want my life to be. And those people are valuable. And I don't think you can continue to demand that they show up to an office to work on a computer long term. Look, ever since I left the city, you know, I kind of got exactly what I asked for. And I think that's important. It's it's important to think about how you want to live and then think about how work fits into that. And every big company that really values its talent is going to have to contend with it next year.
Yeah, I'm another one that left uh, sort of the city city center as well. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, guys, to bring it back to the start of our conversation. Some of these high momentum names that have sold off this year, if that, you know, hybrid workforce really is in place for the longer term. Well, one big cap, though, and we've talked a lot about the big caps outperforming, but one that seriously underperformed, that's Disney. The Dow laggard year to date down 14 percent. Today is the day Bob Iger steps down as chairman. And our next guest, she actually called it right. She turned bearish on Disney a year ago due to the company's profitability challenges. Joining us now to discuss her Juna Capital managing partner, Natasha Lamb. Uh, Natasha, certainly got to give you props for the start of the year. You called this after sort of a big pandemic year, all the excitement over Disney+. Plus. What do you think is going to be driving this name going into 2022? Um, well, Happy New Year. And, um, you know, as you said last year, I was concerned about profitability and the risk that getting back to normal was going to just take longer than the street anticipated. And I think that's still a question. Um, you know, last year I was right. S&P was up 27 percent. Disney fell 14 percent, so a 41 percent spread in performance. And as you said, it's despite Disney's valiant efforts on Disney Plus and that direct-to-consumer side, where they grew subscribers 60 percent this year. Uh, but the fact is, Disney Plus is still not profitable, and it's going to take more than digital content to fill the hole that was created by the loss in Disney's park segments which used to represent 40% of Disney's pre-COVID revenue. So it was great this past quarter to see the domestic parks edge out of the red, but the segment uh, is down to 29% of revenue today and it's been expensive adapting to COVID. So we really need to see that the, the parks um, start to pull their weight, which is hard in this environment. Yeah. Natasha, what do you see for the streaming sort of field at large? Uh, when you go into quarantine, you quickly discover which platforms you can't live without, especially when you have kids, as I do. I think we've watched Encanto about 100 times over the last few <laughs> days. Do they all survive 2022? Or is this, you know, the year ahead, the year in which we see some of the players consolidate? I mean, over $100 billion expected to be spent content-wise. Is this sustainable? I mean, I, I'm a heavy user of digital content because I have kids. Um, and so we're using Disney, we're using, I mean, we're using all the platforms. And I think that there is still space for a lot of players um, because of all the content that's being created. So people are hopping from platform to platform. And, you know, when it comes to where Disney sits in all of this. Um, I, you know, I really, I'm not a super bear on Disney anymore. I think it's really a question of if, uh, not when we step, or, you know, when, not if we step back into the stock. Uh, it's trading at a more reasonable level when you value it on next year's earnings, closer to 30 times. Um, but, you know, when it comes to digital platforms, it, that can't save the day here. We need theatrical releases. We need to be get, get back to the movies with our kids. Um, I mean, I'm slated to go to Disney in January, and those plans are up in the air. So um, we, we really need to get that, get that shift back to in-person as well. And hopefully it happens with a flash flood of Omicron like we've seen in South Africa. And it's possible we get back to a new normal in April. I think my big question around Disney, particularly with the stream platform, is, you know, they've changed their customer base. They've gone to the retail customer. They've got to grow that customer. If you have kids, uh, like I do, like Deirdre does, you, you know, you're just going to keep paying Disney forever because you need <laughs> access to Moana. 
how do you grow that? I mean, they don't have an additional customer segment the way they used to with, you know, wholesale distribution to different cable networks. Where is the growth there after a certain point? Yeah, I mean, I think they think it's international. Um, so you saw in the last quarter that the average revenue per user went down because they had a promotion and were offering the platform for cheaper internationally. Um, but, you know, you also saw a slow in subscriber growth. So, you know, you, as I said at the, at the top of our conversation, they grew subscribers 60% this year, but they wanted more than double where they are really uh, in a couple of years. And I think that's a high bar um, and international is gonna be key to that. Natasha, finally, I wanna ask you about Meta. You are an investor in that company and you've requested that ahead of the May 2022 shareholder meeting that the company undergo a risk assessment of operating and, and playing in the metaverse. Uh, and I'm wondering if other shareholders have shared your concerns behind the scenes and how the company has engaged with you, whether they're gonna go forward with this. Yeah, so what we're really asking there is for a study to be done and then a shareholder vote on whether they should move forward. And that's fairly Facebook um, specific. I know Disney's also saying they wanna be stepping into the metaverse as well. Um, our concerns around Facebook are that all of the problems that they've had around content governance and violence and racism and sexism and hate speech uh, and election interference, all of that is only going to be magnified um, in the metaverse. And so you you saw Facebook in a lot of hot water, um, clearly this fall with the Wall Street Journal investigation and um, the whistleblower testimony. And so, you know, here you are, it's like, has I think the only thing that Republicans and Democrats at this point agree on is that we should be regulating Facebook. And is this really their but will time Facebook to be actually into do this assessment? Do you think they'll actually do you think they'll actually do this assessment that you're asking for? I think that they are undergoing their own um you know, uh, internal studies, which we saw that didn't really work in the past. Um, and so I'm not sure that without shareholder pressure that they will. Um, as you know, Zuckerberg has a lock on that stock um, and all of the votes. But I think investors and a lot of investors share our concern around this. I think investors um, are concerned around the metaverse and will express that concern at the at the annual meeting. And you know, I do hope I do hope that um, Facebook would step up and and do it on its own accord. Hmm. Yeah, well, shareholder pressure, we haven't seen a, a whole ton of that uh, over the past few years, but uh, something to look out for in the next year. Natasha Lamb, thank you so much, Virginia Capital. Thank you. Happy New Year. Most of the, Happy New Year to you as well. Most of the top performing stocks on the NASDAQ semis, we will break down their banner year and where they go from here. That's up next. Tech Check is just getting started and oh, what a year it has been. Have a look at this. Andy Classic, CEO of Amazon. Dara Shahi, the CEO of Uber. Slack CEO, Stuart Butterfield. Joining us now is Reid Hoffman, co-founder of LinkedIn. Pat Gelsinger, CEO of Intel. The CEOs of Airbnb. Affirm. DoorDash. Bumble. Microsoft. Substack. MongoDB. Nextdoor. LinkedIn. DocuSign. Tinder. ServiceNow. PagerDuty. Adobe. Doximity. Abbott Laboratories. Solve Help. Qualcomm. Fubo TV. Roblox. NASDAQ. HPE. Ship. Fox EO. And a lot more. There's a lot more tech check still to come. We we are just getting started here on Tech Check.
Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. CES, also known as the Consumer Electronics Show, was going to be one of the biggest in-person conferences since the start of the pandemic. It is still kicking off Monday in person in Las Vegas. But given the surge in COVID cases, a slew of big names have dropped out or moved to a virtual presence, including Microsoft, Google, Intel, T-Mobile, Meta, Twitter, Amazon, the list just goes on and on. And while Tech Check will no longer be there in person either, do not miss. We have an all-star lineup of interviews all over next week. AMD's Lisa Su, Qualcomm's Cristiano Amon, even Amazon's head of devices, along with many, many more. So it should be a great way to start the year, Kale. Even though we're a little disappointed we can't be there in person, we'll make the most of it, as we've had to do for many things over the last few years. Yes, that is quite a lineup coming next week on Tech Check, even despite having a uh, a real presence there. We will certainly be turn- tuning in. And we will turn now, Dee, to semis winning the trade of 2021. Take a look at NVIDIA. Shares of that company climbing almost 130% on the year. Applied Materials, Marvel Technology, each up more than 80% year-to-date. Our next guest says stick with those winners in 2022. Joining us now is More Insights and Strategy President Patrick Moorhead. Patrick, it's good to see you. If you go back to the beginning of this year, the headlines would have made you think that 2021 would have portended lots of fits and starts and uncertainty for chips as the supply chain issues dragged on. Uh, But that is certainly not what happened. What do you make of what we saw this year and what's to come next year? Yeah, so this year was really defined as growth driven by COVID and stimulus checks. I mean, with everybody at home, every person in the house needed a PC. People re-upped their TVs because they were, again, not spending time outside, but spending time in their home. Game consoles, PC games uh, were, were essentially off the charts. We hadn't seen this growth in PCs uh, in 10 years years. It was truly incredible. Even with those supply chain challenges, these semiconductor companies pulled in their manufacturing it with sometimes up upwards to 50% into 2021. 
But each of the names, Patrick, that we talked about at the beginning of this segment has a different market that it is serving, whether it's Internet of Things or autos or 5G or data centers. And I'm wondering which of those themes you think is going to be the most high powered in 2022. And based on that, which stocks you would pick from here? Yeah, so there are many, even though I'm only forecasting roughly 10% growth this year versus last year's 25% growth, if you're in 5G, if you're in PCs, GPUs, high-performance computing, artificial intelligence, DDR5 memory chips, and EVs, you you are good to go. And therefore, I like Qualcomm, AMD, Marvell, Lattice, Synaptics, and Micron for very different reasons. A Qualcomm example, they are the leaders in 5G and they have finally disconnected themselves from Apple with their growth in automotive and IoT. AMD in saying year on year growth, I'm expecting them to gain share in the data center, maybe lose a little on client, but then there's the Xilinx impact. Marvell is hot as well. 5G edge networking, flawless ex- flawless execution by uh, Matt Murphy, and a, and a low uh, a low PE ratio. Forward custom silicon lattice beyond turnaround stage, going head to head in mid range FPGAs with Altera and Xilinx. Pretty high pretty pretty high PE, but still I'm expecting a lot. Synaptics three years into its turnaround, uh, uh, really their customer set and the experiences they're driving are incredible. And finally, Micron, the leader in DDR5, and it's going to be a banner year for that company. Hey, Pat, it's Neil. Good to see you. Um, I, you mentioned auto. I'm very, I've been tracking auto very closely. A lot of the big car companies, right, they, they got cars sitting on lots waiting for chips, and they are drastically rethinking how they procure supply for chips. Do you see that having any impact on these big companies? Uh, I absolutely do. And here's the irony of it. It's not the high-performance computing chips that are slowing them down. These are the $2, uh, $5 uh, specialty power chips or connector chips that – we often uh, forget about. And that's going to be an issue for every company moving forward as the bill of materials of electronics increases. So it's not just going to be a Tesla problem. It's going to be a Ford and a GM problem. And I believe that this problem will go through 2022, but we will see a much better situation in 2023 as uh, these companies have built capacity to take this on. And that is even before the potential $52 billion windfall from the CHIPS Act, which could see the light of day in 2022. We will see for now. Pat, Happy New Year to you. Patrick Moorhead of More Insight and Strategy. And record amounts of capital flowing into SPACs and IPOs this year. One key winner to watch, EV player Lucid, still up 60% since listing, even though it's now 40% off its highs. Don't miss the latest SPAC hitting the street. The last of the year, Bill Gates-backed solar startup Heliogen. That's coming up next. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find?
Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Deirdre Boza with Kayla Tausche. Neelay Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge, is with us this morning. It is the last trading day of 2021, and stocks are marginally lower on a calmer, quieter day to end the year. If the S&P closes lower, though, it will be the first time that it has fallen on the last day of trading since 2017. Tech here continues to be a lag. The composite down about one-tenth of one percent. More on the markets in a moment. But first, let's get to a news update with Rahel Solomon. Rahel. Hi, Deidre, and here's what's happening at this hour. Pfizer helping lead the S&P 500 this morning. That's after Britain approved Pfizer's COVID pill for treating people with mild to moderate symptoms who are at risk of getting sicker. Pfizer shares are now up more than 60% this year. Amtrak trimming its schedule over the next week. The cancellations are due to bad weather and rising COVID cases among its workers. U.S. flights disruptions, meantime, speeding up today. Nearly 1,300 flights have been canceled so far this morning. Investment firm 3G Capital inking a $7 billion deal for a majority stake in a Dutch window coverings company. It's the first big deal for 3G Capital since 2015. It's also a significant diversification for a firm known for food and drink holdings like Kraft Heinz and fast food chains, including Burger King and Tim Hortons. And in Britain, tens of thousands of people thought that they had gotten some unexpected holiday cash. The bank Santander mistakenly deposited $176 million in some accounts on Christmas Day. The bank says that the duplicate payments have now been corrected. But imagine Kayla waking up to that and thinking, it's a Christmas miracle. But no, it's it's not. It's since been bah humbug. Bah yeah. humbug. Also Seriously. imagine explaining that to your shareholders at earnings if you end up letting them keep it. Yeah. It's a lose-lose situation. Thank you, Rahel. All right, let's turn to public offerings this past year. It's been a year of underperformance with two-thirds of IPOs trading below their initial share price. And SPACs are not faring much better, averaging more than 35% lower following those mergers that took them public. But that's not stopping this next company, likely the last SPAC merger of the year. The company is Heliogen. It's a Bill Gates-backed solar technology company utilizing AI to concentrate the sun's rays to heat more than 1,000 degrees Celsius for energy and hydrogen fuel production. Joining us now is Heliogen CEO Bill Gross. So, Bill, I have to first ask you, why today, of all days, to go public? Well, there's been so much demand in this new energy transition for companies who want to decarbonize, but also to save money on fuel prices. As you've heard, energy prices have gone up like crazy this year, and companies are looking to avoid that volatility. We concentrate sunlight to replace fossil fuel use. And because there's so much demand inbound to our company, we are using this capital to scale the company over the rest of this decade and the coming decades to make a big impact on the energy transition. So is there a benefit to recording this capital raise before the end of 2021, either for tax reasons or earnings reasons, rather than pushing it into next year, Bill? No, this was just a demand of the market causing us to move as quickly as we could. The company now has raised this year more than a quarter billion dollars of cash to be able to pursue this huge opportunity. The world really is changing. This is bigger than the Industrial Revolution, what is going on right now. 
and there's a chance to make a big impact on both decarbonization and reducing energy prices. And that's what we're focused on. Yeah, Bill, uh, you know, certainly this is a huge, huge moment, huge trend. I wonder, though, then, are you surprised by what we've seen in oil and gas prices this year and some of the correction that we have seen in newer energy stocks? What do you expect for 2022? I think that people don't realize how much energy powers the planet. It powers our comfort and convenience, our GDP growth, and the world is demanding much more energy. But the world is demanding that energy to come without pollution. The pollution from fossil fuels kills more than 10 million people per year. And of course, we're doing things to the atmosphere that have even longer term effects. Our method of producing energy with no CO2 emissions is really a game changer. I see that as having a huge opportunity both in 2022 and beyond. Bill, finally, you got a $39 million grant from the Department of Energy to build an industrial scale facility in California. How quickly can you build that? And then at what point do you expect, if ever, to uh, expand to residential solar as well? Right now, we are focused entirely on industrial scale. There are many companies that are going after the residential market and many companies going after the commercial and utility market. We are focused on heavy industry. Heavy industry is 36% of all energy use and 36% of all emissions. So we're focused on mining companies and cement companies and steel companies. In fact, ArcelorMittal, the largest steel company in the world, is an investor in our company, both privately and in this going public process. So we're focused on those markets exclusively. We're helping those companies reduce their volatility and take control of their energy production on their own premises. We will take that Department of Energy $39 million award and begin construction on that project in 2022. So we're very excited to move forward. The Department of Energy had a competitive grant for us looking at many companies who could make a big impact on the energy transition mm -hmm. and chose us to invest in. Well, Bill, it's a banner day for your company for you to close out the year. Congratulations, Helogen up 25%. Thanks for joining us on Tech Jack. Thank you very much. Amazon's underperformed the market this year, and some new data is providing even more fodder for the bears. That story after the break. Stay with us. Well, Amazon underperformed the market pretty significantly this year. We've talked about it. It had a monster 2020, and it was only up about 5% this year. The street is bullish, though, going into 2022. It is the top pick from a number of analysts and there still isn't a single sell on the stock, but looking for a reason to be bullish. Well, Apptopia is out with new numbers showing the top shopping apps shows Amazon dropped from number one in 2022, number four this year. It was surpassed by Singapore's Shopee, Chinese ultra discount retailer Shein, and Indian e-commerce giant Misho. Amazon guys still commands a large share of the U.S. commerce market, more than 40 percent among American retailers. Um, but, you know, it has had this sort of struggle internationally. It is still losing money. It has spent billions and billions of dollars, especially in India, which has proven to be an extremely tough market. It's withdrawn out of China altogether. I guess the question is, Neele, if you're an investor, do you need the international market when you've got 40 percent of the U.S. market? Yeah, I look at that download stat. I always, I always look at that with a little skepticism. That's new installs, right? If you think about how many times you reinstall the Amazon app on your phone once you have it, it's, uh, it's zero. 
So that's new yeah. customers. So they're still growing and they're fourth place in growth. The real question is, can they get people to use it consistently? Here in the United States, they're obviously very good at that. Can they bring that behavior internationally? Still remains to be seen. And I think a lot of the countries you discussed are very invested in making sure their, their domestic players outperform Amazon instead of giving that market up entirely. There's also, Deirdre, a benefit for Amazon to not expand aggressively in Asia and globally because they're also trying to tell antitrust authorities, look, we have such a small share mm -hmm. of the global market that we don't need to be broken up. We don't need this heavy-handed approach. Uh, but, Neelay, I do wonder if you think that possibly one route of revenue growth internationally would be by acquisitions. I mean, Amazon could buy any one of those companies that Deirdre just named in its sleep and it, it possibly not even have a material impact on its balance sheet. What do you think the likelihood that it tries to grow by acquisition in some of these markets would be? Yeah, I mean, they, they certainly have the money to do it and it, it wouldn't hurt them. I think the integration problem is real. I think we're still seeing what on earth Amazon is gonna do with Whole Foods. They're still trying to integrate that product. Uh, and I do think those countries, particularly India, are gonna take a hard look at foreign acquisitions in their country. They are very invested in making sure they have a, a healthy domestic market. And here's my question, guys. I mean, I'm not looking at e-commerce so much. I'm looking for Amazon's fourth pillar, right? What are downloads of Amazon Prime Video? How has that stacked up against some of the streaming players? Because as we know, Amazon is going into many, many more businesses, not just an e-commerce player anymore. And uh, no doubt that'll continue to be a theme of the next year. Speaking of another fang name, though, Apple, take a look, hitting all-time highs, so still short of that 3T mark, but they've been hitting those all-time highs all year. Could air tags, though, be a risk in the new year? Why a new report has some privacy experts concerned? That's up next. Don't go away. Apple's AirTags have soared in popularity since they were announced. The coin-sized location tracking devices, they're meant to help you keep tabs on your stuff, like your wallet or your car keys. But a recent New York Times article sounds the alarm on the device's privacy concerns, asking, are Apple AirTags being used to track people and to steal cars? The reporter behind that piece, Ryan Mack, joins us now. Uh, Ryan, great to have you with us. We asked this question about so many new devices. Consumers, they're being asked to weigh convenience with privacy. But it's kind of ironic that it's Apple behind this one that has spent so much of the year and past few years talking up privacy. Yeah, I mean, the company has taken pot shots at everyone from uh, Google to Facebook. And now it's put this kind of tracker into the world that is being used, like you said, to track people, track cars, and um, it's definitely not a great use case. Okay, well, Ryan, for our audience, explain some of the technology yeah. behind it. I mean, I was someone who used tiles and it doesn't work in the same way because the ingenuity of the AirTag, but also the danger of it is that it connects to basically anyone that has an iPhone, right? So it makes them a lot more useful, but also a lot more dangerous. Yeah, so think about like a quarter-sized uh, disc, um, and it, it works similar to like Tile, except um, there are just simply more iOS devices out there in the world. And so um, let's say you put something on a purse, for example, and um, you're out in the world. That, that device is pinging um, other iOS devices in in the background. And um, unlike Tile, um, 
there are just few, there's many more iOS devices in the world that creates just a larger network for these things to be found. And so um, it creates kind of a wider range for a tie or sorry, an, an uh, AirTag to to be located. Hey, Ryan, it's Neil. I feel like you're a great reporter to ask this, this question to. Uh, Apple and Facebook have very different approaches to privacy as companies. They also talk about it very differently. And you obviously criticize Facebook a lot for its various privacy mishaps. They're engaged, right? They answer. They're aggressive in the press. Apple doesn't say anything at all. Do you think that that has any implication for how people should think about it, let alone investors? Yeah, I think it, the the press strategy between the two companies is is very different. I mean, yeah, look at something like Facebook. I feel like they have to engage. There's something like there's always a crisis around the corner with Facebook. Apple, as you know, is kind of kind of is able to kind of be a little more quiet, not really respond to criticism. But in this case, there's been so many stories about these Apple trackers that they have engaged with us on this story at least. Um, they updated their their firmware on these AirTags so that they actually beep um, uh, within 24 hours if they're near an unknown device. Um, initially, it was around three days um, that they would beep. Um, so they, they have kind of responded to some uh, criticism of their product, um, and it looks like they're at least engaging a little bit with us on, on, this, on this issue. Ryan, the people you quote in your article, though, they say it's not a very loud beep. It's pretty hard to hear it if you're not listening out for it. And that one of the only ways they even knew that these surreptitious uh, air tags were even in their vicinity was because their phone pinged them and alerted them to that. Uh, but I'm wondering how much more susceptible you think Android or other phone users uh, outside of the Apple network are to this because they wouldn't necessarily get that same notification. Right. So Apple's defense in all this is that they've, they've said, like, we've thought about this use case of stalking and we've enabled your phone, your iPhone, to alert you when it sees an unknown device near you that's been traveling with you for X amount of time. Um, the problem with that is that if you're an Android user, you don't get those notifications. Uh, and there are many Android users out there. Um, you, as an Android user, have to download a separate app. And you also have to proactively scan your, your surroundings to get uh, any awareness if one of these trackers is on you. So it's, it's not the same thing. And obviously, there are many holes in kind of Apple's argument with, with this kind of proactive notification system. Ryan, thanks for your insights here. It is a great piece. Uh, Happy New Year to you. And Apple did have a comment in the story. A spokesman said the company takes customer safety, quote, very seriously and is, quote, committed to AirTags privacy and security, said that the small devices have features that inform users if an unknown AirTag might be with them. And that does deter bad actors from using AirTag for nefarious purposes. Uh, again, Ryan, Happy New Year. Thanks for that piece. Neela, uh, we got to come to you on this because I know you spent a lot of time reporting on this and, and thinking about it. And I wonder, I mean, I know people who've gotten that notification. I've received it myself, and it makes you wonder, you know, where, who's tracking you? What's going on here? But is it too late to put this genie back in the bottle? I mean, so many people, they've taken off like crazy. We knew that these concerns would probably arise before they even came out. 
Yeah, and you know, this is an argument that cuts against my personal belief that these companies need to open up and allow more interoperability. If you had dozens of companies that were able to integrate trackers like this into the operating systems, we wouldn't be able to just point our finger at Apple and Google and say, figure it out. We'd have to point at something else. We, we might have a more diffuse problem that's much harder to solve. So I think here you, you see a little centralization, a little dominance of the platform actually might help come to a, a reasonable compromise between the convenience of these products and privacy and security, whereas opening up, which is something that I'm always in favor of, might have a different kind of trade-off. So to me, it's one of those cases that really proves how tough it is to balance the overall control of these platforms. Yeah, and ultimately, it just is up to the consumer to figure out whether this is something that uh, is a net benefit or a net risk to them. We will see. Meantime, on TechCheck, looking for some key names at a discount heading into the new year, go no further than some of the year's biggest IPOs. Oatly, Rent the Runway, down 60% since listing. Even Robinhood's been cut in half. Don't miss a check on the space. Coming up next. Welcome back. We've talked a lot about IPO performance this year. It was a record year in terms of dollars raised and a record year in terms of poor performance. But there's also another one. A new report from Jay Ritter at the University of Florida shows that We've also seen a record number of dual-class IPOs hit the market in 2021, nearly 32% of them, including more than 46% of all tech IPOs this year. That most often means the founders or early investors in the company are using dual-class, dual-share classes, rather, to maintain control of the company rather than shareholders. Neely, I'm, I'm wondering who you think or who you hear are setting the terms of these. Are founders and executive teams and boards suggesting that they have to have this structure in order to take the company public, which is usually something that VCs and private equity firms, they want to be able to grant that so that they have an exit opportunity, right? Yeah, I also think there's just a lot of, of cult of the, uh, the founder at play here. And I say that, you know, I'm a founder of The Verge. I feel it. I get it. But, you know, the, the history of Twitter, the history of Uber, uh, those were rocky, messy histories with a lot of investor noise, mm -hmm. a lot of CEO changes. These dual-class structures allow the founders to stay in control, and I think people like that. At the same time, as the companies get bigger, we see it with Facebook every year. There are shareholder proposals that go nowhere because the investors have no power to actually impact the governance of the company. So once you get to a dominant position like Facebook, well, the market can't impact what Facebook does. That doesn't seem to have any... People quitting mm -hmm. Facebook has no impact on them. The shareholders can't impact what Facebook does. Where does the where does the oversight come from? Yeah, in, in Facebook, right? One of the last, the last remaining mega cap, I guess you could include Tesla too, if you want to include them in that group, with the founders still at the helm, you've seen, you know, this transition over at Amazon and Alphabet of the founders stepping away and letting the operators take over. And in one on one hand, you know, it concentrates power. Uh, in the hands of the founder when you do these dual class structures. But on the other hand, you have some investors, like you said, Nile, the cult of the founder who like the founder to stay in control. You look at, you know, a company like Airbnb and DoorDash, you had an operator come in and Uber hasn't really done much since it went public, whereas DoorDash run by founders, kind of a good example of how it keeps climbing and climbing. Anyways, guys, uh, if you are ringing in the new year, listen to your friends here at Tech Check. If you missed our show and you're looking for something to do in quarantine tonight, follow and subscribe to our podcast to listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check is back in just a moment.
One more thing for 2021 as we wrap up our final show of the year. We here at Tech Check took a look back at some of our favorite moments. Take a listen. It's about drive. It's about power. They got to stay hungry. They got to devour. They got to stay hungry. They got to devour. They got to stay hungry. They got to devour. <laughs> wow. Wow, you guys. Thank you for making me feel at home. It's me and The Rock all day, every day. <laughs> you, you, brought us, you brought us a lot, Nilay, and you ended it off with your, with your email shirt, which is, you know, you got to come back again. You too, Kayla. Word of the year every year, emails. Yeah, I'm just nervous that if I come back again, then the next time on the montage, I'm going to be the chipmunk voice. But a New Year's resolution to, to be on Tech Check more. Meanwhile, guys, we have just about a minute or so left. Uh, what a 2021 it has been. I remember, guys, we starting the year, talked about this meme stock phenomenon just exploding. And next year, Nile, what do you think? Web3, crypto, is that going to give us lots of fodder, lots of stories? You know, we've been talking about it on the Verge team uh, for a month now. It's it's coming for us. And we have to find a way to talk about it that escapes the religious war underneath it all. And whether that is a war about the climate aspects of crypto, whether it's a war about Web3 versus Bitcoin, whether it's a war about whether it's all just a Ponzi scheme, there's something there that's interesting. There's some value to a worldwide decentralized database that persists beyond any single company. I don't know what it is yet, but we're going to have to find a way to talk about it because it is coming. Mm -hmm. And biggest IPOs that you expect to nilay for next year? Stripe, Instacart? Give us a name. Uh, definitely Stripe. I think that, that, that is such a well-run company, and I think it's going for big things. Yeah. We will see. Well, Nilay and Kayla, thank you so much for helping us out today and this week. We will see you all in the new year. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find?